This is the Small Moves Podcast with your host, Jason Hertzberger, episode 36. So, two poli sci geeks sitting around talking politics and movies for an hour. What could possibly go wrong? You're listening to the Small Moves Podcast. Small steps for big progress. With your host, Jason Hertzberger. Your next step starts now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Small Moves Podcast today. I'm your host, Jason Hertzberger. I'm really glad that you're here listening. Today, I'm interviewing a good friend of mine, Andrew Langer. Andrew and I met on a political campaign back in 2009, back when I was a lot more heavily involved in the political space, mainly in the fundraising world. Andrew and I met on a campaign for Congress here in Maryland, and he and I became fast friends at the time. We had a lot in common. We had a lot of really great stuff to chat about at the time, and we just sort of maintained our contact since then. Andrew is the president of an organization called the Institute for Liberty. It's a political activist think tank out of good old Northwest D.C. They do a lot of policy, language, advocacy, uh, governmental regulation, reform work. He is also the host of The Andrew Langer Show that you can find on WBAL Radio in Baltimore. They also have an app, and you can listen to it on the website as well, WBALradio.com. You can find The Andrew Langer Show there. Andrew and I had a fun conversation here. We did touch on to politics, which is something that I don't often get into in this show, so I enjoyed that conversation as well because it is something I do love chatting about, but I've been trying to keep it somewhat separated from the show up, up until now. We talked about that. We also talked about sort of his background, what got him involved in the political process, which was a fascinating story, which, believe it or not, I've known the man for almost 10 years, and I didn't know this portion of his background. So it was actually really fun to listen to that. And also, we talked about our sort of shared love for political dramas, whether that be West Wing or Wag the Dog or whatever it might be. We do tend to geek out a little bit on those subjects, so I do apologize to you ahead of time. But it was a fascinating conversation. Andrew's got a really great perspective on things, and I really enjoyed this chat. I hope you do as well. Let me know what you think about it at the community page at smallmoves.co forward slash community. That'll take you to the Facebook page. Let me know what you think about the chat. Without further ado, I bring you Andrew Langer. Here we go. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to the Small Moves Podcast, small steps for big progress. Let's prepare to ignite. Andrew, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's great to be here. I just gave the audience of the show a bit of a rundown of your background, how you and I met on the campaign trail, as they say, uh, back in 2009, and sort of what you've been doing since then with with your work, and um, on the both on the radio and with a little bit more on the activist side of the world. Um, but obviously, you know yourself better than I know you, and definitely more than the guests know you. So why don't you give the give the audience a little bit of a background? on yourself, sort of what sure. got you to where you are now, and we'll just sort of go go from there. It's funny because 2009 is is almost a lifetime ago, which is amazing is. to me. It is, right? Um, it's funny because I, I, uh, you know, I, I came on board at the Institute for Liberty in 08, and I'm realizing that um, it's going to be a, a, te- a full decade come March, which is just astounding to me. <laughs> uh, and before that, I'd been, a, I'd been a lobbyist. I worked for the National Federation of Independent Business, and that's come up more recently uh, because as, as the administration has changed and as a lot of, a lot of jobs have shifted around, I'm coming back across people I worked with a decade ago at NFIB, uh, in a, in a wide variety of contexts. Anyway, I, uh, it, it's, it's funny cause there are like twin paths here. I've always had a passion for radio, uh, since I was a teenager. Um, and I always had in the back of my mind that I'd like to do it. You know, when you're hanging out with friends and you guys are doing fake radio shows, um, that's that's always interesting. Sure. <laughs> I, I actually, it's not always interesting. It's just sort of how these things start. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I, I went to uh, the College of William and Mary, which is a liberal arts college in Williamsburg, Virginia. I have a degree in Soviet studies, international relations slash Soviet studies. 
It was going to go in an entirely different direction, except that the Soviet Union disappeared in the middle of my junior year. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, and, and the various folks in government that you might expect to be hiring with people with an expertise in Russia, Mm -hmm. uh, they stopped hiring. So (laughs) I'd worked for a law firm in New York all through high school and college. I wound up coming out working for a law firm in DC and one of these very well politically connected law firms. And I lucked into a job where I was the reader for a blind environmental attorney. Uh, and a constitutional lawyer. Okay. So I was literally reading the law to him for eight to 10 hours a day and working on really fascinating issues of public policy and constitutional issues. Like, you, you know, you you don't really realize, at least you, you didn't 25 years ago, just how important these basic issues of our constitutional structure are and mm-hmm. how they come into play on an almost daily basis. Yeah. And so we were working on property rights issues and issues of federalism. And my dad's an environmental scientist, so I, I already had a background in environmental policy generally. Okay. And dealing with the real world application, and and that became a real a real theme. Um, you know how science informs public policy and public choice theory, and how choice A leads to choice B and how, you know, the unintended consequences of policy. So all of these things were sort of bound up and I wound up going in a very different direction. I wound up working for the blind lawyer's wife at her nonprofit law firm and then worked for a think tank called the Competitive Enterprise Institute and then went to work doing regulatory policy for the National Federation of Independent Business. And, you know, it really, you know, it leads, I mean, I know, I know you know this, it's, it's, it's this, this idea that everything builds on everything else. Sure. Of course. You know, it's, you're, you're always learning and you're always, or at least you should be always learning and taking what you've learned and applying it to what you're doing in life. And so, you know, that's certainly been the case. Um, Seeming, in, seemingly related or unrelated. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. but that, but that's exactly it. Right. I mean, it's, it's, you know, whether it's environmental policy or, or local school board fights or and that's just talking about sort of, public policy choices, but you know, I mean, how you, how you think about the way the universe works, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and the, anyway, so it's, it, it's, so yeah, so that's, that's sort of my background. I mean, my, I, you know, I do a lot of writing, I do a lot of public speaking. Um, but, uh, and then, oh, I'm, and I'm sorry. Then the other part of it is, uh, I've always done, not always, but when podcasting became a thing, mm-hmm. Uh, I started podcasting. I did. Uh, I did a podcast by myself. Uh, then I did a podcast with a guy named Mark Nugent, who now works for Governor Hogan. He was my neighbor, okay. um, and that was great. We did that for I don't know two, three years, and, and then uh, three years ago, I was asked to do a podcast. This is kind of a fun little story. So I was always a radio guy, in in like the the worst kind of fandom. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, remind me, Jason, where did you grow up? You grew up here, I, right? I, I did. I, I grew up just outside of Baltimore City. Okay. So I don't know if you remember on the radio in the 90s, there was a radio show called The Don and Mike Show. Yes, I do remember that. Okay. So I was a huge Don and Mike fan. Um, and then on the, the the Washington station that Don and Mike were on was G. Gordon Liddy. Uh, and the guys who worked for G. Gordon Liddy, Cameron Gray and John Pop, they were on The Don and Mike Show quite a bit. Okay. And anyway, so I don't even know how long ago it was. I started doing a lot of work with Cam Edwards and Cam and Company. That's on Sirius XM and uh, the new NRA TV system. Uh, And Cameron and John produce the Cam and Company show. So I became really close to those guys. I had become friends with Mike O'Mara at the Mike O'Mara show because Don and Mike split up. And then Mike did his own show, does his own show. Um, but John and Cameron became really good friends and John and I got asked to do a podcast on this thing called the realm network. Now we did it for about six weeks and then, uh, for a whole host of reasons, John had to back out. Basically the timing just didn't work for him. Um, and so the latest iteration I do the Langer cast with my buddy, Jerry, anyway, uh, always with a mind towards using podcasting as a way of honing my radio skills. Um, and so about 
six years ago, I started doing a lot of fill-in work on WBAL and always using the podcast to hone my skills and getting better Mm -hmm. there. I've had some very good mentors at WBAL. That's helped. And so they gave me my own show in in, uh, July. Okay. Yeah. And for for people that are listening, that that show is what time a week? Ah, sorry. Uh, That is uh, Saturday mornings, (laughs) 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. WBAL. Um, which is people that for people that are listening that aren't from Maryland, that's WBAL radio in Maryland. Uh, I believe it's WBAL 1090. I think I'm pretty sure WBAL.com. There's an app. I mean, there's all sorts of ways. Here's the interesting thing, right? Is that, you know, for a radio guy like me, Mm -hmm. um, WBAL is the last of the Hearst stations. So, you know, William Randolph Hearst, massive media magnate. Yeah. Um, had a a TV, radio, newspapers. Um, Now the last of the Hearst radio stations are WBAL and WIYY, the the, the rock station. And so it's... um, That's an interesting history, yeah. It's been fun. And it's it's what they call a blowtorch. It's a 50,000 watt station, which is like... So you can get it all over the place. Anyway, so that's so you know, and so yeah. So I've been I've been working working hard at that for a number of years. But I, you know, as strange and back ending as my career has been, and by back ending I mean sort of back ending into things. Sure. Um, you know, radio has always been something that I've been passionate about since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. When when you compare when you compare your experience podcasting which by the way you said you started early on what's early on to you when did you when did you start your fr- the first podcast um speaking as a podcaster for selfish reasons i'm curious no i mean probably um uh, wow let me think about this um i mean are we talking like 2003 2004 no, no, like no, no i mean it was probably 2007 2008 maybe well that's that's early enough yeah, I like mean, right around the launch of the first iPhone when the fir- when the world first discovered that these things existed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm maybe. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly in the within the iteration of of maybe 2009. I, I, yeah, it's, it would have been 2009 because I wouldn't have done it. I I don't know. Now, sort of, sort of, I'm going back. I wouldn't have done it while I was still at NFIB. Um, Maybe am I sort of, I know I did some things with, anyway, there are a couple of different platforms that I used. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just sort of thinking about this. Yeah. Now for your, for your podcast, which is still, I mean, to this day, it's, it's a uh, Langercast, right? Langercast, www.langercast.com. Though with the amount of fill in work I've been doing on WBAL, we just really haven't had the time to, to do a new show in a couple of weeks. Got it. I, and I was actually going to ask you that, like how, how long the, how is that podcast sort of the purple thread? Like, is that, has that Langercast show under its current or previous names sort of been there through some of these changes or transitions over time? Like you mentioned, you've mentioned how you've sort of used podcasting to hone your skills. Like, is that podcast of yours been the thing that's been there for, I mean, I'm going to say the number like eight years, all the while transitioning to different things in the, well, yeah, in the but I mean, the, but the podcast had changed, right? So it's, you know, I, as I said, it was doing, doing a very simple podcast. And it's so funny because structurally it's changed over time too. how you do it. Like I used to do, it was, it was not set in terms of the timing. It was all on demand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would pre-record interviews, which was great. Sure. And it was all pre-recorded interviews. Um, yep. And usually two interviews per show and I'd splice them together. And then okay. when Mark and I did our show, it was live uh, at a set time on blog talk radio, mm-hmm. um, which I found to be a very, and there's no, I mean, the guys, you know, that I was working with, they, they know my, my problems with this. I found that very constraining a, because it wasn't being consumed. Right. I mean, like one of the things I learned from the guys of the Michael Mara podcast Mm-hmm. is that, you know, for them, only about 10% of their listeners listen live. Everybody else listens on demand. Yeah. And, yeah, and so true. given the constraints, especially at the time, right, because when you did it on that particular platform that we were working on, uh, the website would throttle down the audio quality and make it sound like it was on a tinny AM radio station. Oh, gosh. And so <laughs> it's like, that's always been my advice to podcasters. Been, don't use BTR because... It, you don't use. I'm saying this. You don't use BTR, right? 
I do not. No, there you go. Okay. So, you know, it, it throttles it down and it makes it, yeah, it just, it, you know, and you know this, the, the most, you can have the most compelling audio possible, uh, the most compelling content possible. But if the audio is unlistenable, no one's going to listen in. So, sure. you know, and, and, and so you, you have to really take those steps. So, yeah, so we did that, you know, we did it timed and live and, and that was uh, again, constraining. Um, and then the realm network thing popped up and yeah, then it became, you know, a weekly thing. Um, we would, we've recorded on different days depending on scheduling. Um, but also I, I, you know, I, I, we would do as little editing as possible with the, with the Langer cast. We do as little yep. editing as possible. Yep. We don't, here. we, we broadcast on Facebook live, but it's never going to set schedule. And that's because some people like the, the video option. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the reality is, yeah, most folks consume it on demand. Uh, and I just, frankly, I, these days I, I hate post-production. So it's, <laughs> you know, I just, I like, I run the board live. I do all of our music live. I make mistakes. I figure what the heck it's just, the, that's the way it's going to be, yeah. but it does, it does help with my skills. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, keep, doing- it keeps you sharp. It keeps you sharp when you're on the air. Yeah. yeah, it's it's that, but also things like um, practicing how to add audio in, you know, audio elements in when you're doing it live. It, it's it's different, you know, when finding those tools and getting trying to get the the level. Anyway, I don't want to sort of get way too in the weeds here, but it's sure. but again, it's all about it's all about sort of the skills here. Um, sure, and that's 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 been fun, and and how like how you structure it so that. You know, it's like this, like you and I are having a conversation, even though I'm sort of monologuing here, (laughs) but conversation is always more compelling than monologue. Of course. So you, you need, and, and if it is just you, right. Adding in those production elements, you know, responding to audio clips, um, giving the ear something a little bit different to hear so that it focuses the attention. Sure, of course. Yeah, and and it's funny when 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 doing it doing it on your own and then adding in audio elements. I mean, obviously, when when building a podcast, I mean that that's a that's a format that's actually relatively common in the podcast world as well. And early on, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with the show, like that was one of the things. It's like, well, do I want to do commentary? Like, I I I comment I consume so much information that. Yeah. Maybe the show just kind of sticking with the small moves idea. Maybe it could be a daily five to 15 minute show where I just kind of distill a point, a point that I just listened to a 10, 10 hour book about, and I'll distill that. And then the next day I just listen to a four hour, four hours worth of podcasting thematically in the same area. So maybe I'll distill that. And, but at the end of the, at the end of the day, the it's, it's just, it's just me. And frankly, I just don't think I'm particularly that interesting. Like, or, you know, w- within, you know, within reason It's like, obviously my, my wife will listen because she loves me. But beyond that, you know, the, the, it starts to you, it, it also requires you to have a name recognition and a talent level that is significantly higher than most people that are just starting out. Like in your, even, even, you know, look, look at your, look in your case, you know, you were, you know, you were a college graduate, you weren't a lawyer, but you were working at a law firm. And you were you were working in a position that it wasn't exactly like you were the the PR representative for the top corporate business law firm in Washington D.C. So it wasn't like you had a massive media following at that point. So like it it the if you were to just go from there to just simply it's like hi I'm Andrew you have no <laughs> earthly idea who the hell I am but hi I'm Andrew and I'm going to tell you everything about what you need to know I'm like um. Who are you again? Why do we care? Yeah. Yeah. Why the hell? Why the hell do I care? It's like, it's interesting, but but it's also funny because right. I mean, you, you have to have a voice, you have to have a perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, and I had some of that. It's funny Mm -hmm. because I moved in, um, in, uh, what 97. And of course my phone would ring. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. So, uh, it's funny because my, my, not to sort of get back to this, I'll, 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 uh, my my dog uh never moaned at the phone before 
But mm-hmm. you know, about six months ago, he started moaning with this when this phone would would ring. It's very strange. Anyway, so um, <laughs> it, it's funny uh, as to the issue of post production, right? Because yes. uh, I did a sh- I, so I I, I I podcasted from uh, the Republican National Committee, the convention in 2016. Mm-hmm. Okay, and had gotten all of this set up to do live shows. Um, and the very first day my board failed, I have a, uh, I had a USB mixer that I loved. Um, and, and I wound up getting the same one, but it, it shorted <laughs> out on me like right before I, I like the, like the second day that I was there and, um, I wound up having to do my recordings, go back and do it old school where I was recording interviews, right? Cause the whole point of when you do something live at an event like that, you're there to, to, to get the interviews. Yeah. You um, have to capture the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was spending so much time in post that I was missing other things. So like mm-hmm. I did, I don't know. I think I did the first day on, uh, I did a couple of days and then I just threw up my hands and said, forget, it, I can't do this anymore. Um, sure. And so it did, it was, it was, it was, it was tough, but, but I mean, the point is that, um, um, you know, you make do (laughs) with what Mm -hmm. you have. Sure. Now you, you mentioned going to that, uh, the Republican national convention, are those conventions as, as insane as I hear they are? I've never, I've never had the chance to, to go to one. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, and they're all, they're always different. It's funny. It's my, my old adage about CPAC, the conservative political action conference is and mm-hmm. I say this every time I, I beat this into the ground. Uh, every CPAC is different, and this CPAC is no different. I, I mean, every RNC is different depending on what it is you're trying to achieve. You know what your role is. Sure. So it changes over time. So 2016 was my. Uh, let me see if I got this. For uh, hold on, let me do this. 2000, 2004, 2008, 2012. It was my fifth one. Okay. And each one has been markedly different given whatever job I had at the time and given whatever I was doing. And so, you know, I've been to RNCs where I was doing nothing but schmoozing and partying. Um, I I've been to, uh, RNCs where I was doing mostly media and then some partying, uh, this Mm -hmm. last RNC, I was literally working 18 hour days. It's going to sound like a humble brag and I don't mean it this way. I just mean it as a straight brag. No, I I, I was working eighteen hour days. I was uh, up bef- and on media row. Like they have a whole media center. Yeah. Um, and so I was on the media center before seven a.m. to do all of the morning show hits that I needed to do. Uh, and then that was just carrying me through. And then I was doing a lot of work with One America News, which is a a TV cable news network. Um, okay. And so I was doing you know coverage for them at night and so i wasn't getting back to my room until after you know 11 p.m so that's not 18 hour days it's like a a 15 hour day but so i did i did no partying i think i went to one i went to two receptions um i was on the floor once like in 2012 i wasn't on the floor at all um okay when 2008 strangely enough I was working, I wasn't getting paid, I, but I was, I was there doing my own work, but I was also, uh, I was doing work for Al Jazeera. Okay. Uh, and so they had provided me with all access passes, which is why I was sort of working for them gratis. Cause I could go anywhere I wanted. Um, okay. but yeah, they're insane. I mean, it's, it's, and again, it depends on your role. So if you are a member of a state delegation, uh, you're getting fetted by all sorts of uh, uh, all sorts of different people, you know, going to all sorts of events. Uh, and then you're on okay. the floor at night or in the bleachers at night. You know, if you're uh, an, uh, if you're a, um, a, an activist, you're you're speaking at events, um, you know, you're holding things, you're maybe not schmoozing per se, or you're doing radio row. Uh, if you are a media host, you're you know, you're interviewing people. So every everything is it, it's all. It's all different, um, you know, and for me, there's also a certain amount of fun because, you know, it's like those old episodes. Jason, how old are you? I don't even remember. How old are you? I'm 37. Okay. 
you're you're not you're not all that much younger than I am. You rem- you remember uh, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley? <laughs> I I not live, uh, no, okay. but I, I'm I, but I am aware. Okay. I should say so. You know, it, it was a big trope in in seventies and eighties sitcoms. Uh, you know, actually, even into the nineties. You know, you remember? Um, uh, oh God, what was the one with? Um, Growing pains with Alan Thicke. Growing pain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, you know, that, where you would now, take a, now you're talking my language. Okay. Where yeah. you would take a sitcom and and you would send the family somewhere else or like all of the characters would go somewhere else somehow. Like uh, um, it, it would be not just the Seaver family, but Boner and somebody else <laughs> uh, would also somehow find themselves on the trip as well. Anyway, yeah. RNCs are like that. Uh, where you are, you know, it's all the same familiar characters, all the same people, you know, back in DC or wherever, but then you're just all in a different setting and hilarity ensues. Got it. Now on, on either the activist or the reporting side, have you ever been to a uh, democratic national convention? I haven't. Um, I've had opportunities. Um, I, I, like in 16, I could have gone in 12. I could have gone, um, okay. You know, by the end of it's so funny. I had this conversation with somebody just the other day. Um, by the end of a Republican, by the end of a Republican convention, I'm usually so exhausted. And, and then mm. there's the other factor, which is also um, up until 16. No, I guess 16, even in 16. Uh, my my wife's been active duty in the Air Force, so okay. the amount of time that I could take away from the family has been mm-hmm. really limited. So like, Got it. you know, normally I'd go to, I go to a big conference in Vegas every summer called Freedom Fest. It's a big libertarian conclave. Uh, in okay. 16, I didn't go to both Freedom Fest and the RNC because they were sort of back to back. Okay, gotcha. You know, it's, yeah, I'm always sort of cognizant of that fact in terms of my travel schedule. Now, for as for Freedom Fest, I, I've actually heard of Freedom Fest. I didn't know that you had, you uh, went, would go to that. Oh, yeah. Um, is it, how how many stereotype bo- uh, check boxes does that conference hit? Like I I love libertarians. Please you know please don't get me wrong. Anyone that's listening, I love them to death, yeah. and I am am generally very libertarian leaning when it comes to my personal politics. Um, take that for take that for what it's worth, uh, because the libertarians are the you are that unique group that tend to piss off everyone from every other angle of the political spectrum, which I just find hilarious. Um, but yeah, so is, is that it, what's, what was your experience there? Well, okay. So I've been going to freedom fest. I think I figured it out that, that, that this last one was my 13th maybe. Oh, wow. So I've been going <laughs> okay. consistently for a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it is, it, yeah, you know, again, it, it depends on what you're trying to get out of it because, sure. Um, you know, for me, this last time I was, I was going, cause I was speaking. That's how okay. it sounds like a humble brag. I don't mean it that way. Um, but sometimes you'll go because there are people you want to meet with. There are people you want to see, uh, you're trying to build coalitions on an issue and it's a good solid place to meet folks. But yeah, I mean, so, so generally you have, you have the libertarian activist class and, and folks, just so you understand freedom fest is the only purely for-profit policy conference that's out there and they're unabashed about it. I mean, they're, you know, in, in true libertarian fashion. And so sure. you get the varying shades of libertarianism uh, from the objectivists to the, you know, the free marketeers to, um, you, you know, you know, I would call those the anarcho-capitalists. I mean, to, to mm-hmm. you get conservatives there too. Uh, so yeah. a wide range. Um, and, and so, so you get the activists, you get the scholars slash think tanky folks, you get the donor class, uh, and then you get the folks who are trying to sell people things. So there is a there is there was always a contingency of Freedom Fest where there are folks who are uh, come and invest in Belize. Uh, here's how you buy gold. Uh, here's a uh, um, you know whatever it is. I mean, there's all. I mean, there's there are folks who sell this weird holistic massage uh, device thing. <laughs> <laughs> so you get all of all of that together, um, but but you can but you can only buy it by having a bar of gold and a fi- and a file and shaving off enough because they don't trust or, you know, or, or, or Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't don't forget Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin you know? Yeah, sorry. So you know it, it's um yeah. It, I mean, listen, it's a, it's a it's a really it's a, for me. 
I go. I love going. Um, like everything else, I, I can only do Vegas for about three days before I have to come home. Yeah, um, that's always been my experience that, in that town. This year, I was constrained because um, uh, <laughs> I had to come back early uh, for the first episode of the Andrew Langer Show on WBAL. Uh, you know, normally I will come back on Saturday. This time I came back on Friday. It, it's it's it usually goes into the weekend. Anyway, things change over time, but it's it's great. I mean, listen, it's they always do they always do a really big picture debate. Like that's the theme. Okay. Uh, so you know, this past year it was Black Lives Matter versus Blue Lives Matter, and. Hmm. Okay. And that's a really interesting discussion to have because, you know, the libertarian movement has always been at the forefront of, you know, f- talking about police abuse of power uh, and the Absolutely. power of the state. Um, but then you also have folks who recognize that you can't have a libertarian society without some aspect of the rule of law. Um, sure. And, and so – you know, that at least any reason, any reasonable libertarian believes that. Yeah. Well, yes. And so you do get the unreasonable folks, uh, you know, I, I mean, it's a, you know, I, I, this wasn't a freedom fest, but I had the, the, you know, I, um, I hosted a screening of, um, of a really great documentary. Oh God, this is like four years ago. Um, a documentary called Ann Rand and the prophecy of Atlas shrugged. And it was okay. right around the time of, I actually hosted two of the screenings, one in DC and one in New York. And it was right around the time the Atlas Shrugged movies were coming out. And so there was a lot of interest. Um, and, and David Kelly from the Objectivist Center came to the New York screening. And we had a really interesting discussion afterwards about whether you could be a Christian and a libertarian. And I, since I am one, I believe that, you know, in my core of being. But objectivists sure. just they 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 show enormous disdain for anything faith based. Okay, uh, and so you know if you're an objectivist, their immediate answer is no, and it's like okay, well then, you know, you guys don't have you guys don't have any semblance of faith with you anyway. You know, so it's just you know you get you get a lot of that at Freedom Fest. Um, okay, but it's it's. It's well worth it, you know, to go at least once. They have a really good libertarian film fest, which reminds me, man. Thank you for reminding me. Somebody I got to reach out to and for my own show. Um, they they screened last year. I don't know if you remember the uh, the Suzette Kilo case from 2005. No, I'm not familiar. This, this eminent domain case where the lady's house was taken for a uh, uh, so they can build a, a parking lot for a, a new Pfizer plant that actually never got built. So they oh, they did a um, a, a docudrama uh, starring uh, Oscar winning I think she's an Oscar winning actress Catherine Keener uh, as Suzette okay. Kilo really and they screened that at at Freedom Fest I went and saw that and I just had a great time. Hmm. Yeah, no that that actually, that actually sounds interesting. I'm I'm, I'm marking that down. I, I am I am a massive movie buff. If you sort of learn anything about me over time, it's that um, I I'm. I don't watch a ton of TV TV just because I can never figure out what to watch, but I'm a massive movie buff. Yeah. Outside. I'm, I'm similar, far more movies than TV outside of maybe newsroom and West wing. Like those are, those are the two shows that I quote at nauseum much to the disdain of much to the disdain of my delightful wife who. Well, they're both, they're both, both. they're both Sorkin shows, right? Yeah, they're both. Yeah. I love I love Sorkin writing. So like the the and anything that I've sort of come across by him, I'm a bit of a fanboy. But we'll you know we'll put that we'll put that aside. See, I'm that way. I'm that way with David Mamet. So out of, out of curiosity, of the David Mamet's work, what what's your favorite and why? Out of curiosity. Well, I mean that's tough, right? Because I mean you're talking about plays. You're talking about um, uh, are you talking about script? You know, film scripts that he's written or or, or done. Um, I mean, for me, it's, uh, I, I quote, you know, state and Maine, wag the dog, Glengarry, Glen Ross, mm-hmm. um, uh, <laughs> you know, even a Spartan on occasion, yeah, um, it, like eminently quote, like, it seems like both of us, there, like eminently quotable, like that both of, oh, and, both and, of these and, writers. I'm sorry. And my, and my favorite being, uh, heist, which is, you know, I, I, which is one of my favorites. Um, okay. You know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, heist really being, I think the last David Mamet play like movie that he did, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I it's so funny because you know you talk about guests, and I'm sure you have a list of guests that like you would die to get. Sure. Yeah, um, I I've, I definitely have my my top hit list. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so Mammoth for me, um, um, uh, Phil, uh, uh, Pete Townsend from the Who. Mm-hmm. You know, if I ever get a chance to interview Pete Townsend, I'm just going to quit right after that because you know what else is there? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, you I, know. I, yeah, he also did what? Like he did Hoffa. He did Hoffa, which is one of my early fa- early favorites when I was younger of Jack Jack Nicholson, Ronan, Wag the Dog. Like he's got a lot of incredible stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's just it, right? When I talk about, you know, political movies that everybody ought to watch, uh, Wag the Dog, sorry, Wag the Dog, The Godfather, and uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou are like the three that you absolutely have to see. Yeah, absolutely. And they're, I mean, they're not obviously all Mammoth. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's uh, it's uh, Mammoth, the Cone brothers and Francis Ford Coppola. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's but yeah, that's exactly it. It's, you know, it, you, <laughs> I mean, Wag the Dog is folks, if you haven't seen Wag the Dog, um, I mean, it is we quote the, the phrase, the group of guys that I used to hang out with all the time. It's a pageant. Uh, that's something I still use to this day. <laughs> Yeah, and that, yeah, and then for for anybody for anybody listening that that was that show came out that movie came out in 1997. It was Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, like it was an incredible, incredible flick, giving a uh, very interesting uh, perspective as to the uh, the the PR machine that you see behind a lot of um, government written, activity. Written by Mamet and directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, so there's that Baltimore co- connection there. Yeah, that's oh, so you mean Barry Levinson? Barry Levinson, sorry. Oh yeah, Barry yes. Levinson. Fun, yeah. Funny, funny you bring up Barry Levinson. Um, one one of his early movie earlier movies, I was actually an extra in. Uh, that, oh, there you go. That he that he filmed here in Baltimore. Yeah. Which one? Oh my God, I can't remember the name of it now. It was, was when it, I was what? I was in fourth grade, so I don't remember. I don't recall the name of it. It was. It, it wasn't Avalon, was it? Yes, it was Avalon. Oh, yeah, no, but, about the, the 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 Jewish immigrant family that came yes. over the grandfather. Yeah, I I was I played the non speaking role of young Jules in several of the uh, the kids running around and playing. Is that right? Throughout the movie. Yeah, no, it was Little fun. things you find out. Yeah, it's funny. That it's is fun. one of my favorites. It, 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 we actually, it's so funny because when I did, I was filled in on, on uh, Thanksgiving, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the line from that movie, you cut the turkey without me? <laughs> it's too far for relatives. I, I, that, the, I, you cut the turkey without me. That is, that is, uh, that is part of my family. I mean, we're, I didn't grow up in Baltimore, but you know, the, the concept of the big Jewish family having Thanksgiving and the relatives yep. coming from the suburbs or coming yep. into the suburbs. Yeah, these are all these are all all themes. But uh, one of my again, one of my favorites. Yeah, um, it, it was it was funny. Like if you if you remember you remember the movie well, do you remember the scene when the grandfather was coming down the gangplank off of the boat to the absolutely? To the lady? I was in the crowd. I was oh. I was in the crowd of like you know the ten to fifteen family the members. City the city was electrified. Uh-huh. Yeah, the lights forever. It was the fourth of July. I stepped off the boat. Yeah, no, I I oh yeah, remember it well. What what was it that you liked about that movie? Ah, uh, you know, I, I mean, a, a lot of different things. I mean, you know, a the writing the writing was fantastic. The dialogue was terrific. Um, I I I like movies that show those snapshots of life. Mm-hmm. It's a compelling story in a city, for a city that has changed dramatically over the course of time. I mean, obviously, you know, Levinson has done. There's the trilogy, right? Which is, I suppose. It's it's what it was. Uh, it was Avalon and Liberty Heights, and then I don't remember if Tin Men or Diner is considered part of the trilogy. Okay, but maybe I guess it's a quadrilogy. But all of those movies showing the different facets of Baltimore, and then of course you've just got this. You know, for me as someone who is passionate about small business and entrepreneurship, you know mm-hmm. the story of these two cousins who are trying to build something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the decisions that people make, I mean, it's all, it's all of a, all of a piece. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm just looking at it now. There was like the, uh, the 10, it was 10 men, what was it? 10 men, Avalon. And that, that was the Elijah word and Liberty. Hi- yeah. So Liberty yeah, Heights, okay. Avalon and 10 men. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, so and diner is, he I guess, started with Di- yeah. Like he, he yeah, began his career as a director with diner. Because because uh, uh, bagel is a character in both movies. Anyway, yeah. So, you know, I I mean, it's it's 
but yeah, it, it's 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 just so well done. Um, and it was one that I you, you used to catch it on cable all the time. Plus, I'm a huge fan of Aiden Quinn and a huge fan of um, Kevin Pollock. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's got it's got everything. Elijah Wood, I can give or take. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> So the now out of curiosity, but the entrepreneurial side of what what seems to grab you with these stories, fiction or nonfiction, like what sort of grabs you with these stories, like did is that interest sort of what fueled your changeover from the work that you were doing at with the law firms early on, on to more working with the National Federation of Independent Business? Like, well, how- no, because keep, keeping in mind, right, that my my role with NFIB was to deal with the regulatory state. You know, okay. I was their, their director of regulatory policy and now you're not that, a lawyer, are you? Or are no, you? I'm not, I'm not, okay. you know, but, and that's one of my great regrets in life is I literally just said this to somebody the other day. One of my great regrets in life is not having gone, gotten my JD, but that's Got a it. whole, a whole nother podcast. Got it. Sure. But yeah, it's like no, William, I mean, William and Mary spits, him, spits out a lot of them. So I, you know, yes. you know, sure. But, but the, the issue of the impact of regulation and, you know, how, how you know government forces cho- you know choices that was all bound up in sort of my libertarian philosophy it wasn't until i started working at nfib uh, you know that you you started to learn about the, sort of how you differentiate small business from big business mm-hmm. and how the impacts are different but it wasn't until i was there that i really began to understand that the american dream is the entrepreneur's dream mm-hmm. right uh, yeah. That that people want to come here from all over the world to make their dreams re- real, and by and large, those dreams are to start a business, build a business, grow a business, mm-hmm. and and reap the benefits therein. Because you can't do that in a lot of places. And we could sort of talk about you know my other philosophies about you know American exceptionalism, but sure. you, you know I spent um, I was invited in two thousand six to go to Morocco and to consult with the Moroccan government on small business and entrepreneurship. And I spent some time in the sooks, in the bazaar, um, walking around and, you know, as a way of sort of informing where I was. And so you meet with these Moroccan government officials and remember Morocco is a monarchy. Uh, They have a, you don't necessarily call it a caste system, but you Mm -hmm. definitely have uh, gradations and very sharp lines between the middle class, the upper class, the aristocracy, et cetera. And for the folks in Morocco, the Moroccan government and the aristocracy believes that entrepreneurship, uh, the mercantile mercantilism is just restricted to the middle and the lower upper class. Lower. Yep. Sure. Yeah. And, and I'm like, no, no, no. You walk around the bazaars, you, you know, you have entrepreneurial entrepreneurialism out there in a very real way. And they're like, no, 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 those aren't entrepreneurs. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> These are people who are striving to make a living. They're hustling. They're trying to do it better than the people who are next to them. These, these are the most entrepreneurial people of all. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I got, I got a little frustrated uh, with, with that, but it, but it really, Brought it, brought what makes America great into sharp focus, and why people come here into sharp focus. Mm-hmm. You know, people come here, right? The you can sort of talk about Jefferson, and when he said the pursuit of liberty, he really meant the pursuit of, or I'm sorry, the pursuit of happiness. He meant the pursuit of property, and that's part of it. But but the pursuit of happiness is doing is pursuing that which makes you happy, and for many people, it is taking that idea, whatever that idea is. Sure. And making it real. And and that's something I have grown, you know, hugely passionate about. So we do, for instance, on my show, on the on the, uh, the WBL show, uh, you know, we try to do something small business oriented on every show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in fact, I've got to come up with that. You know, it's like uh, one of the things I'm, I, I'm trying to have on. It's going to sound very strange. I'm a big fan of uh, these oranges called sumo oranges. Have you seen these before? I haven't. Okay. So they started coming on the market four or five years ago, Selma Wegmans. Um, they're these oranges. It's like a cross between a clementine and a uh, and a navel orange. Okay. So like navel orange size, they're really easy to peel. They're the juiciest oranges you're going to ever have. They're seedless. They're fantastic. 
Hmm. Okay. And they were brought to America by this family. And and again, the family has been growing it by leaps and bounds. So we're going to have on the, uh, the sumo people in, okay. um, in, uh, in, in, you know, at some point in there, cause the sumos are going to be able, they're going to come to market in six weeks. Um, so we're going to have them on at some point in time, but I mean, stuff like that, you know, to, you know, these, these little stories I had an, I, we had on, um, Clark Neely, who's a, a VP at the Cato Institute, which for folks who don't know is a big libertarian think tank. Yep. Clark used to be with the Institute for justice, which is a nonprofit law firm. And they specialize in, uh, in, filing lawsuits to defend people's abilities to engage in entrepreneurship generally with regards to licensing requirements. Okay. So, you know, it would be like if you had to go and get a license before you could podcast from the, the, uh, the broadcasting guild or the broadcasters guild of Maryland. Yep. Right. So in many ways, this is what is being done. Uh, for other industries, most notably in things like hair braiding in yep. DC, it was shoe shining. Oh, God. And, and so it's really funny because the, the, the week before I'd had Clark Neely on, we talked about this case out of DC and a lot of these restrictions were created uh, to keep uh, people of color from getting jobs. Mm-hmm. Right. So in DC uh, anti boot blacking regulations were being used to prevent African-Americans from becoming shoeshine people or boot blacks. Okay. And this one guy uh, named Ego Brown had greatest name I've ever heard, by the way. Oh, a great name. He had, uh, he had, she challenged it with the Institute for justice acting as his lawyers. Okay. Now talked about this case, learned about it when I was at NFIB you know, years before uh, it was something that the folks at NFIB were really in, I wouldn't say enamored with talking about it. I just say, you know, that they, they thought it was a great story. And I talked about it on the air. Now, a week later, I'm at the Capitol Hill club uh, in Washington, DC for a meeting. And I walk out and I decide to walk back in and get my shoe shined. And the shoe shine guy was outside. He comes in and I'm not even thinking about that. I mean, again, a week later, Jason, I, I'm like, it, it, the, the, I, I was only thinking, you know something? I just had this conversation with Clark Neely about Ego Brown. Let me get my shoe shined. And I looked down at the guy's name tag and it's Ego Brown. Oh my God. <laughs> and he's now, he's now moved his stand to the Capitol Hill Club, which is uh, the National Republican Club, essentially up on Capitol Hill. He's now right. shining shoes there. And I looked at him like, oh my God. You're Ego Brown. I literally was just talking about you on the radio. And he seemed really shocked by this. I mean, it was it was such a great experience. It gave him a big hug, got my picture taken with him. You know, because here's a guy who is a true, he doesn't know it. He's a guy who's just trying to pursue the American dream. He's trying to build a business for himself. Yet he is a hero to entrepreneurs everywhere. And it, for me, it was a, it, 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 it made my afternoon. It made my weekend. I was on cloud nine. Yeah. And it's, it, it's so funny, like even, even trying to boil it down. And I think that's, that's one of the areas that I, th- I think we can sort of focus on as maybe some action steps for the audience is just dr- drilling, drilling down a little bit more on that topic, which is you know, what, what are some things that people can do if they're, if they are looking to launch a business, but like changing, changing the angle of that more because the the general advice is out there is like, you know, come up, it's like, come up with a great idea, write a, write a 65 page business plan and, you know, like go to your bank and borrow money and like, (laughs) you know, whatever, like you don't, that, that, that isn't necessarily entrepreneurship. That's one aspect of entrepreneurship. And it's an important it is, an, it is an important one. Well, here's but it's, the thing, right? But I, I mean, people start, by, start by practicing your craft. I mean, whatever yeah. it is you, you're going to want to do, it, yeah. you start by practicing and, and, and practicing informally around folks who are around you, right? So if you want to open up a restaurant, cook your recipes for family and friends, get their feedbook. Yep. Uh, it, it's like, it's like the, it's like, you know, something so funny. Um, a lot of a lot of it is like the test that a lot of political consultants will give to candidates, which is what they say is do the family and friends test. 
mm-hmm. right? Ask your family and friends to give you money to start your campaign. Mm-hmm. Because if they're not going to give you money, it's going to be really hard for you to raise money from other people. Get it from a stranger. Yeah. Exactly. If, if, your mom, if your mom won't give you money, you're not going to get money for a, from exactly. a stranger. Uh, yeah. Or it's going to be – it's that much more difficult. I mean, it all obviously depends on your family situation. But on the sure. other hand, right, but <laughs> friends too. If you don't have any friends, it's going to, again, be very hard for you to do that. <laughs> Um, but you know, if you're cooking, if you're making crafts, if you're doing stuff like that, I mean, all of those things sort of practice that craft mm-hmm. and, and figure out if it is something that you are passionate enough about that you want to use it to as either a full-time career or a sideline and start it as a sideline. Now it's funny because got a, a piece of advice, uh, inadvertently. Now, one of the TV shows that I do watch is a show called Billions. Mm-hmm. And now, of course, the, the name of the guy who is who created it, um, Koppelman, I think, is his name. Yes, uh, uh, D- David David Koppelman, I think. Or Brian is. Koppelman, I think. Or Brian Koppelman, anyway, that's right. Yeah. Uh, something like that. So I just heard it, I just oops. heard him interviewed on another podcast. Well, there you go. Yeah. So his he was going to he asked his dad if his dad could front him money so he could quit his job and become a full-time writer. And his dad said to him, listen, if it's important enough to quit your job over, then it's important enough for you to get up an hour or two earlier every day and practice your craft, Mm -hmm. right? You don't need to quit your job, but if you're going to take that step, then consider melding it into your existing life and making the time if it's that important. Yeah, and actually, if if you if you take that another a step further, I I actually view that as being more committed. I agree wholeheartedly because if you because it's almost it's almost like the cheap way like it's almost like the cheap way out just to to do what everybody says is like well if if you didn't like if you didn't succeed at your last business well that just means that you weren't committed you weren't committed enough you if you would have been committed that would have been it you should have quit the job and burned the bridges and no sold, no. sold the house and moved to L.A. like. No, I find I find it more impressive when I see when I see a father of two coming home after a 12 hour workday, having dinner with his family, seeing off his kids and his wife to bed and then spending three hours in his basement whittling away at wood to make to make those amazing you know, like lacquered walking sticks that he sells every Saturday morning. Like that's more impressive to me. I want to give that man so much more money than the guy that just said, screw it. I'm quitting everything and I'm moving out to here. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's impressive a little bit, but it's also not that hard Yeah, because, you know, especially in a world today. And this is, you know, something that I tell people that are self-employed today because i've been self-employed since 2008 yes so and before that i was working for a large corporation as at 100 percent commission rate for eight years so basically self-employed before that as yeah. well um i mean i tell people now it's like do, doing that is easy now we're we're in the uber age yes. now like I, self-employed people the terrifying thing about starting a business in the past is you know if you if your business takes a 50 percent nosedive or whatever it might be you're screwed. You're done. Yeah. You're, you're, it's it's over. It's over. You're bankrupt. Your family loses their house, and your kids have nowhere to sleep. But now, guess what? You spend you know sixty bucks every couple of years on a vehicle inspection. You get you know your business loses fifty percent of its revenue. Guess what? You're a you're a twelve hour a day Uber driver. Yeah. Starting yeah. starting this afternoon, like you're making a hundred to two hundred dollars a day starting this afternoon. Like the, there's there's nothing there's no barrier. There is now, no so. stigma in having a gig economy right now. That's where we no, are. You know you thank and thank God there's not. Yeah, and well you know it's funny because a couple of years ago, it's so funny. You sort of talk about this. Circle back to politics, right? Um, I got into it with a local candidate and this candidate had, (laughs) he had fanatical followers. I mean, in a really weird sort of, um, 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 Svengali sort of a way. It was, it was just very (laughs) strange. The hold he had, um, okay. Just, and it was bizarre anyway. So the guy was, listen, you know, I, I, I will, I will admit I came down very hard on this person largely okay. because I, 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 a, I don't suffer fools gladly, right? We all make mistakes. 
Sure. But this person was running for a job he was not qualified for. It was a whole bunch of things. Um, and his reaction was so off the wall, non-reciprocal in, in terms of how he reacted to my criticism. Um, okay. That that it just, it just it went it went well beyond. So anyway, so to make a long story very short, he he started to feed his supporters a whole line of BS about me. I mean, first of all, he went and reviewed my traffic records, which what? <laughs> listen, I have a bit of a lead foot. <laughs> I've had a lead foot in the past. I've been really trying to get better at it as of late. Um. And I'd had an act. There was an accident. Anyway, long story, very short. But at one point, he his his supporters started asking me questions about Institute for Liberty and essentially accusing me of not really having a job. And it, it was all. And it was it was and it was not the first time. It was as though you had a I had a bunch of people working off the same set of talking points. It was very weird, but you know, but, but today, right now, you you know, this is only, this is only three years hence where, you know, you can now say, uh, you know, it's a gig economy. Nobody blinks twice. If somebody is doing X and doing Y, yeah, I run the Institute for Liberty and I have a podcast and I do fill and work on WBAL uh, and I do this and I do that. You know, it's, there's no, there's no, it's, it's much, much more um, understood now. Sure. Yeah, and it, it's and it's interesting. Like, and and I know previous generations will quote unquote blame that on the millennials. It was like those those damn millennials. They don't want to keep a job. But then again, you know, in in the world that we're in, the companies don't really want to keep the employees either. So you can't really blame them. With the, so that that's really put. I think that's really what's poured. Well, a lot of the let's, fuel onto and, this and, fire. And Jason, let's also turn it back on its head, right? Which is which is to say that. Because more folks are now there's because more folks are now being encouraged to pursue their dreams as a vocation. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, they you know because other folks are seeing because folks are seeing other people do it. You know, they're mm-hmm. seeing the guy who is spending three hours a night whittling his handcrafted walking sticks, or they're seeing someone who is. Uh, starting a successful cake making business, right? Mm-hmm. That that you know that they realize, oh my god, I can do this too. I can be mm-hmm. an accountant by day, uh, but a cupcake baker extraordinaire at night. Mm-hmm. You know, or I can bake pies, or I can start a beef. I know I'm going down the food the food aisle. I can make chicken pot pies. You know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but but so you so yeah, so that's all of these things come together. Where yeah, there's a real convergence in that regard. Yeah, that that reminds me of an interview that I saw just recently with a man that I believe is one of the saints of the last fifty years, which was a gentleman by the name of Fred Rogers. Oh sure, um, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. For anyone listening, yeah. or for you, for you kids out there that uh, had have never had the absolute privilege of watching that show, um, I remember something that he pointed out. That it, he he wasn't just a host of a show; he was actually a learned child development, you know, educated and practitioner. And something that he pointed out that he was doing with kids early on was he was inviting he was inviting in these experts, these people that were specialists at whatever, or bringing them onto the TV show or whatever it is. Like at one point, he had Yo Yo Ma on his show, and he was getting letter he was getting letters about how you know my my child has learned to play the cello, and then he he was this was actually on an interview with. Um, that he gave back in, I believe it was either 1994 or 1997 that Fred Rogers did with Charlie Rose. Okay. Put, put Charlie Rose's background and, in, in, you know, put that aside for a moment. But w- one of the master interviewers that, that have quite literally ever lived. And he asked him about that experience. And he said that the feedback, the, what he has observed with children and, and as it applies now to what I think is the gig economy, this, this, philosophy applies to all ages which is don't sit there and tell me how to do something like don't bring on in using fred rogers as an example don't bring on yo-yo ma to come in and teach a class on how to play the cello bring in yo-yo ma and let him play 
the cello. Just watch these people do the things yes. that they love. You yeah. don't, you don't have you don't have to teach it. Like attitude attitude is contagious. Lo- passion is contagious. When you see like if you see Yo Yo Ma play the the cello, it is one of the most inspiring things you'll ever sure. see. And when you see a sculptor not saying a word for an hour while working out a piece of clay into one of the most beautiful things that you will ever see in your life and never even saying a word about it. Just it's captivating. And it's the same. It, it, I think it applies to, it applies to the economy today. It's like people are starting to see that and see not hear, not being taught because clearly they're not being taught this. Like clearly this isn't something that we teach in the educational system today, but they're seeing people that are actually producing something that they love to do that's always just been that closet hobby that they've had for 25 years yeah. and they're now turning it into something because now it's an acceptable means of making a living. And it's amazing the results that we've seen. So hell, if there's anything, if there's anything that I can recommend the audience to do is whatever that, whatever that closet thing is that you've got, that you've been working on, put it out there. Well, I mean, it, it's because the, the pursuit of happiness, right? I mean, it's not, you know, it, it was included in the declaration of independence because it's important to remind folks that that's why we're here, you know, yeah. life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. Right. And not or. Yeah. It's like it's not yeah, it's not a multiple that's choice. Exactly right. Hopefully it's not a multiple choice. Yeah. 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 No, Andrew, I think that's a really great spot to wrap up. Um, one last quick question that I have for you that I ask all the guests on the show, uh, as it applies to the concept of my show, which is trying to find like those small incremental things that can make a bigger difference given time and space. Um, what purchase of a hundred dollars or less can you recall making in recent memory that's had the most impact on your life in some way, shape or form. It's really funny. I immediately was going to say, I was immediately going to (laughs) say, this is so strange, man. (laughs) I was immediately going to say the Amazon Alexa. Okay. But I'm not. Okay. I'm not the echo. Yep. But I'm not. Uh, Though I think the echo is great and you can listen to my show on WBAL by just saying, Hey, Alexa, uh, play WBAL. Okay. And she will. Um, and, and I've got a lot of my house wired for uh, smart lighting and things. Okay. And I love that. And I love being able to talk to my dog when I'm away. And, <laughs> and, but I'm going to go in a different direction. Okay. Um, one of the, and it's not a recent, recent purchase, though I do need to buy another one. Okay. Is something called the Wonder Bag. The Wonder Bag. Now, I'm, I'm passionate about food. Okay. And this thing is about 50 bucks. Um, and it is a heavy insulated bag that you use for cooking. You can use it to keep things warm, and we've done that. Okay. Um, but what it's really used for is in place of a slow cooker. Hmm. Now, I'm, I'm a big I'm a big fan of finessing things, mm-hmm. uh, which is to say, you know, you, I'm, I'm passionate about movies. I'm also super passionate about food and passionate about cooking. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, Guy I'm after a my own heart. Things on, uh, by, by cooking them with indirect or, or small increments of heat. I'm a big fan of sous vide for instance, I, nowadays. My wife and I do that two, three times a week. Yep. There you go. Um, you and I should trade recipes. Thank then. you, Chef Steps. But uh, Yeah, but but so the Wonder Bag is a thing you want to use when you want to keep something at a constant low temperature without using electricity. So for instance, I cook a tomato sauce, a seven ingredient tomato sauce uh, in this bag. And it's, it's, you know, you bring something to a boil, you keep it at a boil for five minutes and then you stick it in this bag and it'll keep it warm for hours upon hours. Hmm. Um, soups, stews, etc. It's really good. And it it's, doesn't use electricity. It's literally just a heavy insulated bag. So I recommend the Wonder Bag. <laughs> no, that's a, that <laughs> um, actually sounds And incredible. every time you buy a Wonder Bag, they ship one over to Africa uh, because they want people to be able to stew food in Africa without cooking it over wood or manure fires. Got it. And in the in the uh, in the wonderful world of startups that that we live in these days, the Wonder Bag that's all spelled correctly. Yeah, Wonder Bag. Okay. Yep. Okay. So not not missing the e or the no, I don't, a I don't in the bag word or whatever. No, and I don't Got think it. it's. I, I don't remember if it's one word or two, but you can find them on Amazon. You go. I, I highly recommend it. They're about fifty bucks a piece. When we give wedding presents now, our standard wedding present to give is 
a wonder bag, a, a lodge uh, uh, enameled cast iron pot. Love them. And some kind of an immersion blender. Because mm-hmm. um, the three of them go so well hand in hand. Okay. Uh, so go check it out. Yep. Yeah, the, I, will, I will absolutely do that. And for everybody listening, I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, Great. Andrew, where can the audience find you in the socials or on the interwebs or wherever it might be? You know something? Um, you know, these days, the best place is to go check us, check out the Andrew Langer Show on Facebook. Okay. Facebook.com slash Andrew Langer Show. Uh, also on Twitter at Andrew underscore Langer. Uh, there may be changes in the coming weeks, so check it out. Okay. That sounds great. Right. Andrew, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Small Moves Podcast. I'm really glad that you stuck with me and listened to that conversation with Andrew. Andrew's a fascinating guy, and he's really fun to talk to. I really had fun with this one. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Just really quick before you go, I mentioned it last week on Tuesday that I was going to be starting this month with the Small Moves Book Club, and the first communication on that is going to be going out to you this Friday. I'm going to be sending out some information to anybody that's on the email list about the Small Moves Book Club and the book that I'm picking for this month of February. I will announce it there. So do me a favor and go to my website, smallmoves.co, and go ahead and sign up for the email list and you will get the very next one. The email that I'm going to be sending out is just kind of giving you a general parameters for the Small Moves Book Club itself, and as well as the very first book that I'm recommending for that series. I'm only going to be doing one book per month, so to not overwhelm anybody. Um, I do have a list of a couple of other books that I'm a big fan of that I'm going to be getting to soon, but I only want to start with one and sort of go take it from there. I'm really curious to know what you guys think about that, so let me know on the Facebook page as well about that. So again, go back to smallmoves.co and sign up for the email list so that you can start getting the communications about the book club as it begins to roll out this month. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the show. I really appreciate you. Have a great rest of the day. You've got this.